Hello and welcome to another episode of Webinar Wednesday. Today we're going to be talking about how you can prepare your business for an exit and we've got Chris Schipferleng from Global Wired Advisors who's waiting backstage and he's going to be giving us a lot of great information, a lot of great tips on how to prepare your business. Marg and Kevin, how are you guys doing today? Really good. Cold here though, it's freezing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, winter's starting there. We're really well, uh, we're busy, um, but we're, we're well, we're well. That's awesome. So one of the things that's coming up next week is our listing optimization workshop with Verity Civelle. And um, this is the second time that we're doing this workshop. And the first one was a super duper success. Verity is such an amazing presenter. And she, of course, has so much experience doing listings herself. She has worked on hundreds of listings and she used to run uh, she used to work for an um, a top Amazon agency and she's worked with a lot of brands so in case anyone's interested in this workshop uh, check out um, get more details at this link the agentseller.com forward slash listing dash workshop um, it's a two-day workshop very hands-on very interactive you know Verity goes on to Amazon and she does live reviews of listings and if you have a listing that you want to get reviewed she will do that as well and uh, we also talk about keywords and Verity's got this really advanced uh, worksheet that she has that she calls a keyword bank. So when you're just starting out and you, you know, you, you have all of these keywords that you want to document and, and uh, put together on a spreadsheet, she's got a really nice template to help you do that as well. And so, yeah, very comprehensive uh, workshop where we talk about everything that's related to listings, whether it's images, title, description, A plus content, uh, branding. <laughs> oh my God, it's just so much. I think she's got like 200 slides or something. <laughs> and it's, and, really great, yeah, it's great value for anybody that's sort of at that stage. And, uh, yeah. And it's super value and uh, uh, Verity is super helpful too. Yeah, uh, she's amazing. Yeah. And um, she will, of course, um, you know, she, she records a lot of additional videos as well apart from the workshops you've got the workshop replays plus all of the templates and documents that she gives plus she's recording you know a couple of other videos as well so there's a lot of um, information that you get and it's great for new newbies it's absolutely amazing for newbies but it's also really good for experienced sellers who you know maybe already have well-established listings so highly recommend it definitely check it out okay so mark what else did you want to talk about I'd just like to say we're happy to say that um, India is looking like it's opening up. I mean, a lot of the factories are now, you know, slowly coming open. Everything's coming out of lockdown, which is great, which means we can actually plan our next Viz show and our launch of our brand new website. Excuse me, my <laughs> dog. Even Bryson is excited. <laughs> Excuse me, he's yeah. leaving already. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, by the end, another two weeks or three weeks, we should be doing our first visit show again after lockdown because all the suppliers will be able to get to the factory and we'll be able to do lots of, we've got lots of surprises too coming up. So wait for that. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I'd just like to say, uh, Magla, that um, uh, the, the, the donations for the Talia have uh, sort of increased significantly. Um, over the last sort of week or so, and um, we sort of made it over the 10k mark, which you, you sort of make you happy. We sort of it makes me very happy. <laughs> donations, it's creeping in slowly every day. I, I go look, and it's sort of creeping up. So it's fantastic. I mean, 
uh, thanks. You know, we can't thank people enough for you know taking the time to donate and um, to take it on board. And if anyone's interested, yesterday Payment um, has said did a, um, an interview with um, Jaswant Kaur, who's the um, one of the directors of of Dipalia, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful um, uh, interview. Uh, isn't it, Magla, Mark? Yeah, no, it was good. Really yeah. Nice. yeah, really and nice. So very inspiring. Please go and have a look at that. And uh, it, it, she's a very inspiring lady and sort of, um, beautiful smile, beautiful heart. And um, payment sort of brings the best out in her, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very heart to heart conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, deep. Yeah, and, and if anybody wants to donate, please go ahead and do that. This is the donation link uh, right on your screen right now. And uh, we are basically giving out dry ration kits to people, to underprivileged families in India who are affected by COVID. And uh, we've already given out donations to over 200 families. And uh, as more donations come in, we'll be supporting more families as well. So please go ahead and donate. Every little bit counts. <laughs> Hey, people, four cups of coffee feeds these families for a month. So I think, exactly. you know, if you think about that, you know, yeah. 20 bucks, you know, and you're feeding a family of probably four or five people for a whole four weeks. Um, it's not much oh. to sacrifice. Yeah, All right. 20, $20. We'd better get back to Chris before he disappears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's invite Chris on stage now. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Thanks for waiting so patiently backstage. Hey, no worries. I was going to play a joke and hide under my table. Disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> so there he is. He's under there. That's right. That's right. Just bring up a couple puppets to talk about. You know. <laughs> Make it way more awesome. interesting. <laughs> Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today yeah, over here. Yeah. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation and there's so much happening in this industry right now. So we're yeah. very excited to um, learn more about what you have to say. But first of all, tell us about yourself yeah. and about your company as well, Global Global Wired Advisors. Yes, I will. So my apologies for my hair. It's quite humid here um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh by the end of the, by the end of this webinar, my, my hair actually may look like Kramer. So you got to <laughs> just bear with me. But uh, yeah, so a little bit about myself. You know, we're um, Global Wired Advisors, is a lower middle market investment bank. We're focused on digital consumer, and really, what that means is we're focused on um, any type of companies that are within a specific range of EBITDA or revenue, um, typically around five to six million, going up to fifty or sixty million. Um, that have a, a consumer product focus within an, within some type of e-commerce channel, whether that's direct to consumer or that's an Amazon-based business. But uh, but that's uh, that's a little bit about kind of the overview of, of of who we are and what we focus on as far as criteria. Now, what do we do day in day out? Uh, we work with sellers and, and business owners in particular, really who are looking to um, for that for that strong liquidity event. They built up an incredible business. Um, you know, they've spent a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of sweat equity, getting the business to a point. And a lot of folks who are listening today may be in the beginning phases of that. And some folks who are listening may be in a little bit more of that mature phase. Um, but uh, once you're ready to, to, to take your business through a real strong process and put it in front of the right buyers um you know global wired advisors is heavily focused on 
what we would call the, the, the correct term is sell side engagement. That's just a really cute way of saying we can help you, you know, we can help sell your company. Um, as an investment bank, we do have other products that we do offer. Um, we do help with some capital raises, but typically when it comes to specific capital raises, they need to be in a certain specific size. Um, and then we also work in what's called buy side engagements. So just to kind of round out what we do in terms of products, uh, you know, we'll have private equity funds. They'll reach out to us and they'll ask us to specifically hunt for, you know, a strategic, a strategic business within a specific vertical or specific category. Um, you know, recently we just had a pretty decent size private equity fund reach out to us and they said, hey, you know, we just created a fund and it's funny, private equity, they're so creative. It was fund number four, right? <laughs> you know, they, they had fund number one, fund number two, and now there are three and now four. And that particular fund had an investment thesis and a strategic, um, you know, a strategic uh, thesis to go after the furniture category. And so um, they actually called us and said, hey, you know, we're looking for businesses within a certain criteria. We want your help to go hunt for these particular type of companies and make introductions. So that kind of rounds out what we do. Ninety nine percent of where we're focused, just given where the market is sell side engagements the market's just so frothy there's so much we call it fast money <laughs> that's that's pouring into this particular uh you know part of the capital markets that's that's pouring into this space um and they're really materializing in the form of what we call roll-up funds aggregator funds that are looking to purchase you know lots and lots of cash cash flow positive amazon-based businesses and there's also roll-up funds or aggregator funds that are looking to purchase shopify based businesses as well there's really starting to become some real segmentation and i'm starting to have some early conversations with some funds that are looking to buy amazon bait amazon consulting agencies and also digital marketing agencies so yeah it's uh it, it feels a little bit like an oprah episode right now you know you get money you get money you get money <laughs> it's uh it's becoming a little bit ridiculous to be honest so you know, you got a lot of noise and how do you cut through that noise? You know, how do you find an expert who can really help you, um, you know, discern between uh, what's a really good fund? What isn't a good fund? You know, what's the right uh, path for your business? What isn't? And really, as an investment bank, that's really where we play such a strategic role when it comes to our advisement. So that's a little bit about us. My background, I came from consumer products. So you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I worked in uh, baby products for a very, very long time. Um, I actually, uh, I started with a Japanese company called Combi. Um, they were a uh, stroller and car seat business uh, or in, in Tokyo, Bebe Car is the name of the stroller, is what they call a stroller. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I worked there. It was a, um, it was a, a publicly traded business, um, but, but uh, I was part of the management team in the United States. I started off as a young buck and worked my way to number two in the United States. Um, and it was a, it was a great experience. I actually had a, uh, I, it was my first taste of going into China and working directly with factories. And I spent a lot of time, you know, working directly with factories. And, and, and it's interesting when I get to talk to business owners that, that you guys consult with, that you guys work with. And, you know, when, when Megla and I first, first spoke, I have such a passion for business owners making sure that they truly build a relationship with their supplier 
there's a lot of there's a lot of folks genuinely who tend to kind of brush over that and don't realize how important that really is the sourcing aspect i mean it's like gi joe remember you know it's uh knowing <laughs> is half the battle and so it does really it really when it comes to your sourcing relationship i'd say it's it's not even half it's more than half it's it's seven it gets you 70 to 80 percent of the way there and uh my mentor actually, uh, when I when I first started working at Combi, he was our president. My mentor used to tell me every day, "Product is king. Product is king. Product is king," and it's true, you know. And and uh, so, anyways, I, I worked for Combi, then I worked for a company called Evenflow, which is a fairly decent sized uh, baby uh, baby products company, a juvenile products company. They were about a half a billion dollars. It was a private equity owned uh, portfolio company uh, for from uh, for a private equity fund called um, Weston Presidio. They own some small brands called JetBlue and Fender Guitar and Party City and et cetera. And then they kind of own this baby product business uh, in the middle of Ohio. And so uh, I, I worked for them as a director of sales and, and worked with some of the largest big box retailers in the country. I, I had direct relationships with Bed Bath & Beyond and Target and Walmart um, and, and really cut my teeth in that call it key account management with Babies Are Us, Toys Are Us, God bless their soul. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're, they're around overseas, but they're no longer around over here in the United States. But uh, they're here in Singapore. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I really was able to kind of cut my teeth, you know, um, working with some very, very large management teams in these, you know, retail stores and retail environments. And uh, coming off of that, I actually worked for a company based in uh, Barcelona, and it was fantastic. Barcelona is such a beautiful town, <laughs> city. Excuse me. Um, and so I was actually charged to bring um, the product that uh, that this particular brand was selling in their organic markets, which was Spain, France, Germany, and uh, and Italy. And I was charged to bring it to North America. So really, I got my first taste of being an entrepreneur, but it was somebody else's money. Um, and that that's actually during that time to fast forward. I, I learned Amazon Seller Central, and I was the one who really put that product on Amazon. And I understood for the first time what it really feels like to have that first handshake with the consumer. And so I got sick of I got sick of the buyer's opinion. I got sick of <laughs> the subjective, not a whole lot of data type of conversations I was having. And I was ready to have that conversation directly with the consumer. And it was really good timing. Fast forward uh, a couple of years after that, I, I joined Global Wired Advisors as a managing partner, one of the founding partners of our firm. With my three other uh, partners, we um, I, I came from where I just came from, and what I explained, my partners all came from the institutional investment banks. So they worked for Citibank, they worked for uh, Deutsche, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Bayview Asset Management, the Hartford, um, and they had real institutional uh, backgrounds and financial market backgrounds. And so they worked as managing directors and above. So really, what our firm brings to this space is something that we would consider very unique. You know, we bring that institutional investment banking experience, but we also bring that on the ground consumer product experience as well. Right. You know, really awesome. knowing knowing what it means to truly start something from 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 scratch and grow the business into something and let it blossom um, by choosing the right channels to allow it to blossom in. So, yeah, we, we uh, excited to be here and talk to you guys about all the fun stuff that's going fun on. Stuff. Right <laughs> Great. So what you are basically going to be talking about and uh, is, is the top three ways that businesses can uh, prepare themselves to optimize a sale. So what is the number one thing that businesses need to focus on? 
Yeah, I think I'll, I'll kind of start with what we, what we call the four P's of, of kind of financial organization. Um, it's uh, it's number, you know, we all hear about the four P's of marketing, <laughs> right? And we and we kind of live and die by those by those four P's, uh, which I just read recently in, in recent history. There's actually a fifth P, which is people um, outside of the traditional four P's. But um, yeah, it's the four P's of financial organization. Number one is is preparation. Number two is presentation. Number three is projections, and number four is performance. So let's walk through those and give some you know some brief overview of what all that means. Preparation. It's about having your financials handy. Now, something that's going to be speaking very near and dear to to, to y'all's heart. I say y'all because I'm from the south. <laughs> to y'all's heart is. Cogs, it's cost of goods sold. By the way, to anybody who's listening, it's the number one thing that a buyer will scrutinize and spend a lot of time on. So have your cost of goods sold handy. Know what they are. Have your invoices ready from the factory. Understand where you know your have your invoices from from your from your shipping from your logistics supplier. Have that all handy. Have everything stored in just one central or organized place, whether that's QuickBooks, whether that's zero, you know, whether that's an ERP system. But for most folks who are small business, that's going to be zero or QuickBooks uh, effectively. But have something that is is a centralized kind of data storage uh, uh, center. You know, understand your OPEX, really kind of understand the types of expenses that are going into your business, but having it all handy. So it's really about just true preparation, right? Because a lot of small business owners that we talk to that may not, you know, they're not ready to go to market, they're just really starting out. They're running at 100 and call it 10 miles per hour. And because they're running at 110 miles per hour and they're working on all functions of the business, unfortunately, organization and preparation in particular, it tends to just kind of go by the wayside. So they, they, they unfortunately with finances, they, they have to usually play a whole lot of catch up. And so anything that I can tell anybody on this uh, that's listening right now, please, preparation is so key. So it's the first P is preparation. Second one is presentation. Um, this is something that, you know, a really good accountant or really good bookkeeper, uh, when you're ready to go to market, this is something where we spend a lot of our time, at least with our employees, um, is a presentation of your finances, right? So what does that actually mean? It means preparing the materials in the way that the buyers would like to see them. So what does that look like? Well, first off, in the most, in this most simplest form, it's not cash basis, it's accrual. So understanding the difference between those two is really key. And, and, and in essence, any really good accountant, any really good bookkeeper will understand the difference. And you want to start from day one having accrual-based um, P&Ls and accrual-based finances. Um, so, so that's kind of number one, cash versus accrual. The other one is having a, a true statement of EBITDA. Now, in a lot of cases, businesses are, are typically too small to kind of state the EBITDA, um, but it's really understanding what your net profitability looks like. And then of course, depending on the size of the business, you either state it by the financial metric EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, um, or you state it as net profit, and then you have what's called SDE or seller discretionary earnings. If you're an owner operator, you're going to add back the specific line items on your P&L that are owner related benefits. But it's really having that statement and having it very clear. Um, so everyone who's looking at your P&L, yourself, yourself well before a buyer for many, many, many months, 
understands the true financial profile and the net profitability of your particular business. Um, cash flow projection. That's actually the most important thing because honestly, understanding your net profitability, yes, it's absolutely needed from a from just a pure know your data and metrics perspective. But cash flow is actually what's in your bank account and what can I afford to buy? What can I afford to buy right now from my from my suppliers? Right. Very important. <laughs> I couldn't state that more, especially when you're in growth mode, when you're looking to go into you know new product extensions, when you when you've got a core product and you go back to your sourcing agent and you say, I'm going to need to get into X, Y and Z categories. And it's really, really important to understand what that cash flow projection actually looks like. So um, another one too, this is probably not, it's not needed. It's something that we do, but it's just something to be aware of. But what we call a working capital analysis, it's just really understanding the inventory you have on hand and how much inventory you need to run the business. I'm going to skirt by that pretty quickly because truthfully, that's really something that we work on when you're ready to go to market and when you're ready to exit the company. We really dive in, we take a look at your inventory profile and we put together what's called a working capital analysis to understand at this given moment, how many months of inventory is really needed to drive the business? How many turns per year is really needed for this particular company? Um, and oh, by the way, how can we get better at that, right? Um, a balance sheet, again, pretty simple. It's something that a great accountant will always do for you, but you got to understand your balance sheet. What are your liabilities and what are your assets? <laughs> it's pretty simple. Um, so I think all of us understand a balance sheet. So I'll skirt over that. But here's two other points that I think is really important to understand. And this is really, really, really good to do well before you decide to exit. Understanding your unit economics. And what I mean by that is you start to get really granular on, on the SKU level of understanding how much profitability each SKU is truly driving towards your bottom line. How is it flowing directly into your bottom line? And really being able to analyze SKU by SKU the type of profitability that that particular SKU is driving. And or if you have a SKU that might be what you consider a loss leader, is it actually doing its job to then drive true accretive profit to all the other SKUs that you know it's going to parlay into, right? So understanding your true unit economics, um, I would even go a step further. And if you are in different channels and not just say Amazon, then understand your channel economics too. Understand kind of, you know, what is Shopify driving in terms of the true economics of my business versus Etsy versus, um, versus Amazon versus wholesale? And being able to really and, and work with a strong accountant and a strong bookkeeper to, to, to piecemeal all of that out and look at it in, it, in, its, in, its, own, um, in its own silo to see how it's benefiting the overall financials and how it's flowing into your bottom line. Very, very important. You know, these are these are all things in terms of uh, presentation that's really, really good to get a handle of well before you talk to anybody like us and well before you even think about exiting your business. Um, because really point blank, if you decide never to exit your business, these are really, really, really good business practices, period. You know, if you walk into any type of corporate environment, um, which I'm sure I, I didn't have a chance to hear your backgrounds. I got you got to hear mine. <laughs> but if any of us have worked in a corporate environment, we know that when you talk to a CFO 
and you start talking about budgeting and you talk about planning and you talk about projections, these are all the conversations that go into a complex organization. Um, really good business practice. So number three is projection. So we went through preparation, we went through presentation. Now we're gonna talk about projections. It's something a lot of people hate doing and a lot of people are terrible at. And guess what? There are a lot of experts who are not that great at projections and sales forecasting. But the point is to really dig in and try and understand from a budgeting perspective, by unit, by channel, a true projection of where the company is going. So get really good at that exercise because when you go and it's time to really present your company to a, to a very large buyer set, this is gonna be something where if you nail it and you're good at it and you have a view of where your business is headed, it's going to impress the acquirer because they're gonna then have lots of confidence in the way that you look at your business, the way that you understand your business, and they're gonna have a lot of confidence and believe you about where the company is going. So it's a buy channel, buy skew exercise. And it's also then, we'll get into this later, ties into the product roadmap, right? Where else am I going? How am I gonna budget for that? And also what is the, what's the support mechanisms from a marketing perspective that are needed to prop up the, the new product roadmap and the product extensions that I'm getting into and also the NPD or the new product development I'm, I'm, I'm deciding is needed for the business. So finally, performance, the final P, it's performance. It's being able to look at everything and update, update all of what we just said in real time effectively. What is the performance of my projections? So, you know, we used to do this a lot at, uh, at every company that I worked at um, in my former life, as I like to say. Every single month, we would have actuals versus budget, and we would compare. And really what we're doing is we're just trying to get really tight on, on becoming better, better at our projections because they flow into ordering from your factory. They go into you know, inven inventory and supply and how much inventory is really needed based on, on the projections and the sales performance of the company, right? When you're, in, when you're on Amazon, how many units are you now selling per week? And if I decide to then run a few promotions, how is that going to affect? How, how did I forecast the effect of those pr promotions? And then how did I actually do? And now I can inform myself for the future on how those things will react when I decide to do them in the future, right? So it's about really just taking the time to understand the performance. And look, I get it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a co-founder with three other guys and we do a lot of work, even though we've got a pretty robust staff and it can be tough sometimes to pop your head up and raise yourself above the clouds and look at your business in totality. I totally understand that. But if you surround yourself with a really good team of an, you know, whether that's a, that's an outsourced accounting team, an internal accounting team, a fractional CFO, just surrounding yourself with a really good call it accounting or finance team, it will allow you to free up some time with this particular function, finances, to, 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 to stop and really understand what's going on with this particular function. So yeah, I would say it's the four Ps, preparation, uh, presentation, projections, and then performance. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great um, you know way to sort of summarize all the financial organizations. So of these four, what do you think sellers 
especially smaller sellers or maybe you know mid-sized sellers what do you think they struggle with the most i say number one preparation <laughs> because uh, okay. once you're done once you're done prepping and you have all your your data organized from a i know what my cogs look like i've got all my invoices i've got you know i've got a centralized data center etc um, once you get past that typically you can then hire someone to really help you run that function on an ongoing basis it's always preparation because we're always mm -hmm. both entrepreneurs small business owners we're always busy just being in the weeds and trying to work on the business and trying to strategize to where the company is going and we tend to trip over <laughs> a lot just that th those granular details because we're just so laser focused on making sure the product is good the product has arrived and the product will sell <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so Trish has joined us here. Hi, Trish. How's it going? Trish is Good still morning, on vacation. Trish. <laughs> no, yeah, Trish is up is, on yeah. sunny Queensland coast now. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Chris. Thomas, how are you? <laughs> yeah, no, um, key. preparation is always key. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, whether it be, you know, a game of golf, you know, it's sort of like the preparation. <laughs> if you don't sort of have time for the preparation, Sorry, I have to keep going back to golf girls, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, preparation, you're right, you're right, Chris, preparation is, is key to, to all things, I think. It is, it is, and it's funny, there's a, there's a, I think it's an, I think it's a military phrase that's used here a lot in the United States, it's yeah. uh, proper, proper preparation will prevent piss poor performance. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah, good prep. I like that one. Will, will prevent yeah. that performance. So yeah. I had a I had a former CEO that just used to say that all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> so Trish is working not all holiday. Okay, <laughs> she it's has only a little through. bit of holiday. <laughs> <I'll hold that. laughs> okay, so what's the next thing that we're going to be talking about? So first was financial organization. That's the yeah. number one thing. I'd say, I'd say the next thing that, that's a natural progression just based on what we talked about, which is understanding your projections, um, it really does flow right into a product roadmap. I think there, there are a lot of business owners that we speak to who will work very, very hard on a hero product. We'll work hard on all it just, it's, it's all very short term and transactional skews, right? I just need to get more SKUs. I need to get more colors. I need to get more variations. And it's all very short term and, and highly transactional. And what we have uh, run into in in a from a minority perspective is uh, business owners who have actually plotted out a full roadmap for the for the next call it two to three years. And it really is key. I mean, we've got some very tangible evidence that when you take the time as a business owner to plot out the product roadmap. And it's it's it passes what we call a true sniff test. It's 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 defendable. Um, it doesn't look like you just did it in a matter of thirty minutes, like my kids like to do sometimes for homework. <laughs> you, know, it, it, you, you really took the time to think through where the business could go, and then you tie it into the projections, and then you also tie it into the support mechanisms, which really which really are marketing dollars um, to support the launch and sustainability of that of that product roadmap. Um, it just brings a whole new level of confidence to the business and, and potential acquirers then start to get really excited about the forward opportunity. And really, if you boil down an exit, right, a lot of folks say, well, it's the trailing 12 months and it's, the, it's a multiple on the trailing 12. 
yes and no. Yes, that's the financial metric that a lot of a lot of folks will look at, and a lot of very sophisticated capital will look at. They'll take your trailing twelve months. They'll apply a multiple. But what drives the multiple up is the forward opportunity. And if you've got that mapped out and you're you've already thought through what that forward opportunity looks like, it's gonna because they're not buying an acquirer is not buying your past. That's what they're just basing the value of the business on. But it's going to drive up the value if they become highly confident in where the business is going. And so really kind of mapping that product roadmap out, highly important when it comes to an eventual exit. And if you haven't gotten there yet and you come to our firm and you've got a really nice brand, you've got a really great business, we know that, of course, taking you through a process is going to get you a really strong trade. We're going to spend a lot of time with you on the forecasting um, uh, element, and we're going to spend a lot of time on the product roadmap because it's really important to project out to a, a large list of acquirers. So when you say product roadmap, do you do you mean that um, you know the seller should have a brand or maybe the product categories that a seller chooses should have a lot of related products can be that can be added to the brand on an ongoing basis. So let's say, you know, I don't know, home decor, for example. I mean, that's very broad, of course. But let's say, you know, somebody is doing, I don't know, candle stands. <laughs> so is that maybe, you know, too narrow of a niche or, or is maybe baby products? That's a better example. So let's say somebody does baby products. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what exactly are people looking for? Yeah, great. For instance, I've got two client examples I can give you in baby products uh, since you brought it up. Uh, about three years ago, we sold a direct-to-consumer stroller company. And when we were um, prepping them for market, they had a single stroller. It was, it was you know, lots of really, really good, I'd say, um, unique selling propositions for this particular product. It was extremely lightweight. It folded down really small. You could actually fit it inside of, a, of the bin of an airplane. Um, it, it, it strolled really well. So the, the wheel bearings were really nice, et cetera, et cetera. But they had a single stroller and a double stroller with the product roadmap that they were able to build out. Um, when we were prepping the deal for market, they launched a triple stroller, but they had a quad stroller in the works. And then they had a high chair and a play yard already in the works. And so even though this is small scale, they had a product roadmap that, that was able to show that, hey, we don't have to just be a stroller brand. We're a baby products brand. We're, we're, we're capturing the attention of mom and dad. And therefore we easily can extend ourselves into home. So it would be high chair and then also sleep play yard. Um, and then they had a couple other things that, uh, that were in the product roadmap. But when you looked at it, you didn't think they were just throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall, right? Yeah. It looked very, very well thought out. And they even had, you know, very strong, specific details on how they were going to, A, get the quad stroller, get the high chair, get the play yard, the factories, the, um, the projected cogs, the projected landed costs, the, the actual sales forecast behind it, the budget to get it up and running. I mean, these are just exercises that you would find in any type of really fortune 100, 500, 1000 or medium or even strong small business that's got a very robust team and lots of cross-functional uh, employees. 
this is the type of work they're doing every day. I mean, this is the type of work we did at Evenflow, right? It was a half a billion dollar company and we worked very hard every year, not only on our budget per channel, but we worked very hard on our product roadmap for the specific channels that we were selling in and understanding where else can we go with the product. And product roadmap isn't just, let me extend, so, okay, talk about home. I sell, you know, candle holders. Well, maybe the candle holders could lead into candles. It's, it's, it's also saying, well, is there any innovation that I could bring to the candle holder? You know, right now I charge $9.99 and it's fairly commoditized, but what if I created a candle holder that actually created its own wax, <laughs> which would never happen, right? <laughs> what if I did that? What could I charge for that? Well, probably a lot of money, but you're bringing real innovation into, into your product roadmap as well. So it, it could also be variations in terms of different colors, you know, in baby products specifically and also in home following trend was really important right following the fashion trend is really important i know at least in 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 every company i worked in in baby products we had an actual fashion designer on staff that went to milan went to paris and got to see where the trends are headed for the next two or three years and applied that to a stroller and a car seat and if you're talking about a home you know kind of a home centric product you'd apply it to bedding, you'd apply it to pillows, you'd apply it, you get my point. So it's more than just, yeah. hey, let me go create a bunch of new products. Do I bring innovation to my current product line? And it's also about fashion too. So it needs to be cohesive really, doesn't it? So it all yes. sits together. That's right. Because you don't you don't want to look at a storefront and you've got, you know, a wrench and a baby bib and a you know something <laughs> else, you know. Yeah. A lot of people do you I've looked at a lot of sites and you'll go in and you go, God, look at what they sell and it's a bit of you know, like a jumble store. It um, is. It, and it doesn't look, well, to me, it doesn't look good. I don't think that looks saleable. I mean, an opinion from you, what would you say to people who have done that or are looking thinking it doesn't matter? Do you want to? I, I would I would say that you'll, your, your, your company, your business will be discounted by an acquirer for sure because they're looking at that and they're saying it's not cohesive. I'm not really seeing a really a real brand here. These guys have been very successful at selling lots of different SKUs or widgets, and they've grown lots of good cash flow, but 100% you're gonna get discounted through that process. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got a brand and it's cohesive, you know, to your point where you look at the entirety of the brand and you go, wow, this all just, it just gels together. It makes perfect sense that mm -hmm. this baby products company isn't selling uh, a hammer and a stroller you know? <laughs> it makes perfect sense that they're selling a stroller and they've got a, a roadmap to get into car seats but they're getting into high chairs and they're getting into play yards um and, and even on that note when you're when you're outlining your product roadmap even getting into some of the details around understanding the testing and regulations that go into that you know i i being a baby product, that was there was a lot of regulation, you know, especially around car seats. Car seats in particular, they were they were tested like an automobile. I mean, I've 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 been to the same facilities where they have the crash test dummies for Ford and Chevy, and we were running our car seats on that same test bench. You know, so the regulations are very 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 heavy in that particular category. But being able to understand that there's lots of regulations, right? And understanding that you know there's lots of testing that goes into it if you come to the table knowing that 
a choir is going to look at you and go, oh, you did your homework. Wow. Okay. I feel confident. So we've got a question from Justin Huang. He's saying, this is awesome. What multiple discount would having a brand versus no brand generally be? Yeah, it just depends. I mean, look, right now we're in a very interesting time. You know, a lot of you, you, you hear a lot of people sometimes say, what a time to be alive. It's really true, right? I mean, we've got a lot of fast money. We've got a lot of capital that's flowing into the space. Um, and, and, and the bids, the bids for companies that you're describing, the one that doesn't have kind of a more, I'm going to use an American uh, analogy, but we call it a glorified uh, dollar general. <laughs> which is really like a, just a, uh, it's not even a Walmart. It's just a, it's a Dollar General is a store filled with just lots of very generic product, right? Um, at one point there was a bid for that when it came to the aggregators because they were looking to deploy capital very quickly. And it's interesting and we're kind of getting into a whole other topic here, but they're now starting to segment and they're looking for strategic acquisition. They're starting to. And, and the reason they're doing that is as they go down the line in their Series A, Series B, Series C, and eventual an IPO, you get a lot more institutional investors at the table scrutinizing the type of assets that you're purchasing. And so they're going, yeah, that's actually not a brand you're buying. That's just cash flow. And that could go away at any given point. Not interested. I want to build a brand that's got real longevity. I want to buy a brand that's got real sustainability, et cetera. So let me be specific about the discount. I know that for a fact, let's just say you've got a, an all Amazon brand, let's make everything fair, an all Amazon brand that's got $3 million worth of cash flow or $3 million of EBITDA um, that's generic or multiple categories. And you've got something that's brand centric and, and has everything we just, we just talked about. It's got the product roadmap, it's got growth, it's got scale, it's got size, it's got everything. The generic brand, the best it probably will ever do is a three to four multiple, period. That's the ceiling. We've seen it, we've experienced it. We know not just through anecdotal evidence, it's actually real on the ground evidence versus the brand that you can really take to, to true strategics, corporate strategics, private equity funds, family offices, and then you also sprinkle in a couple of the aggregators. That that trade is going to see probably somewhere between at around a five to seven multiple. I mean, it really is a big difference. And and you ask the question, how in the world, how in the world would it have that much of a delta or that much of a difference? And it all boils down to forward opportunity and brand. Okay, brilliant. Um, by the way, shout out to Justin. Justin is from Air Wallex, <laughs> which is a payment service provider. We're pretty excited to work with them. And I've signed up for an account recently. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be doing a webinar with Air Wallex hopefully soon. <laughs> uh, Jack says, very insightful. Okay, Trish, are the aggregators interested more in acquiring U.S.-based companies? Uh, no, they're fairly agnostic uh, when it comes to the where the company is domiciled. And I think that's really the, the specific question that Trish is asking. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, aggregators have really brought an opportunity for, um, I call them international brands. 
Uh, and you could call them domestic brands. Oh. Uh, but uh, that's they worry about. We're not the sound of that. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, but these these aggregators have definitely brought an opportunity to, um, well, what I would consider international brands uh, to go through real acquisition and real trade. The reason is, uh, the prior to any of these funds, and it's all venture, it's all venture debt. It's, it's very small equity and lots of debt. We can get into a lot later. <laughs> But before any of this cash, this fast money came into the scene, if you weren't domiciled in the United States, then you really could not get an acquisition done. It was very difficult because you couldn't exercise what's called an SBA loan. Um, so if you were of a specific size, and typically that's call it five million of revenue, six million of revenue, it was really difficult to get an acquisition done if you were if you were not domiciled in the United States because the SBA loan is a small business administration loan. Um, it's backed by our government. It's uh, it's actually what they call wrapped by our government. So if you default on it, the government's gonna back it up to 90% or 70%. Um, and so it's a really kind of safe way. Plus, you know, any one of us, if we wanted to go buy a business um, and we lived here in the United States and we had a great credit score, we could go and obtain up to $5 million of a loan by only putting 10% down. So it was a really, really, really good vehicle to go and acquire businesses as a private investor or a pool of private investment. And so then aggregators came on the scene, these roll-up businesses, they got a ton of fast money, and now they've got their coffers and bank accounts just completely full, <laughs> and they want to go deploy this capital as fast as possible. And so it's right. giving opportunity to pretty much everyone globally. Okay, so the second one is product roadmap. Then what is the third thing that... Um companies need to prepare for yeah this. so the third thing is know your stinking data just know it please know it. have have an understanding have a perspective and then please have a view on your data right if 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 I start having conversations with you and you're six months out even 12 months out um, from from going to market and going through a process to sell your business and I ask things like what's your CAC what's your AOV what's your LTV and you start to go, hey man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna take a massive pause <laughs> and I'm gonna say, let me walk you through what those things mean. And then I need you to go do a lot of homework about your own business. So really digging into your qualitative metrics that help drive truthfully a lot of decision making when it comes to your when it comes to strategic decisions for your business, right? Understanding your demographic, understanding your repeat purchase rate, understanding the lifetime value of that particular customer, understanding the average order value of a particular channel, right? You know, if you're in wholesale and you decide to go that method, get to know, get to know your buyer very well, get to know your planning team and understand how many units are you selling, you know, per store, per week, what's the benchmark that that particular wholesale customer looks at and understands as either a success or not a success. Get you dig in with them and try and understand a little bit more about what type of consumer in that particular store is buying your product. But, you know, direct to consumer has made it very easy. And now Amazon is opening up more opportunity for you to understand the consumer through their platform uh, by way of brand analytics. And so get to know it. And if you don't know it, Google it. <laughs> and if you can't do it, <laughs> yeah. find somebody who can Google it for you, right? 
you know, understand your data. And it really is going to be a great qualitative exercise and inform you exactly who you're selling to. Um, you know, how, what, what are your best widgets that you're selling? That kind of goes back to understanding your projections and your presentation of, of your financials um, by channel, by SKU. It's understanding your ROAS if you're selling off of Amazon and through um, either Google AdWords and Facebook Ads Manager. ROAS tends to be the metric that a lot of folks use, but then speaking specifically to Amazon, know your ACOS and know your tacos. Just know it, <laughs> memorize <laughs> it, know it. Um, you know, it's really understanding that data from that, from that perspective. Again, I'm building a case for confidence. I'm building a case to where when you're ready to go to market and you utilize an investment bank like ours, we're gonna take all your data and we're gonna do all these things for you. But if you already have a view and you already have a lot of these things ready for us to kind of put through our process, it, it takes the confidence level to a whole other different level. It really does. And it really helps us then when it comes to our marketing process, go out there and truly get you a much stronger deal structure a much stronger trade for your business and for your asset. So, yeah, it's know your stinking data. I don't. I, I know we just put know your data, but <laughs> know your stinking data. <laughs> okay, let's take hey, this Chris. question from. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, I'll just jump in there, Megla and uh, Margaret. Ma one of Margaret's uh, biggest things, Chris, is uh, know your numbers. But now she'd be able to go, no, you're stinking numbers. <laughs> no, you're stinking numbers. That's right. It's true. It's the same thing. Know your numbers. Know your data. Have a view. Absolutely. Have a perspective. You know, I, Absolutely. I, if someone asks you off the top of you, uh, just off the top of your head, what's your AOB? Have an answer quickly. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's when you know your data. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, used to, I, I keep going back to my, my former life, but it's true. I mean, I used to sit in on lead team meetings with you know, my CEO, CFO, and COO, and they would grill me on my business. And if I didn't know my business, man, whew, I was in massive trouble. But you know yeah, what it did yeah. for me? It helped me become a much better manager of the channels that I was directly involved in. That's what it did. It wasn't just, hey, I need to pass this test. It was, no, I actually really know what needs to be done in this particular channel to make our product a success. Right. Okay, let's take this question from Jay Shah. What about wholesale FBA versus private label business? What's the percentage interest for buyers for one versus the other? I'm sure PL is more preferable, but does high volume wholesale FBA business get some interest? Great question. We actually took a thesis out on two businesses this year that we normally would not have taken to market. Um, we primarily focus only on private label. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we work with businesses typically between, you know, in revenue five to six million all the way up to call it 50 to 70 million. Um, we'll go up from there, but we typically don't go down. So we took we took a, a thesis on two particular businesses that were retail, that were resale or wholesale, FBA businesses. The first one had a real moat. It actually had a distribution agreement with a, a European company, and it was a U.S.-based business. Um, and we said, hey, that well, let's see if that protection is worth something. Let's see what value buyers will see in this particular protection, even though this owner did not own the product, he was just merely reselling that particular product, but he was the only one doing it, right? So that's thesis number one. Thesis number two was a category leader on Amazon right now in the pet space. 
So you've got, not only is it a category leader, but it's in a category that is really hot and getting tons of attention from the capital from the capital markets. So I, I, I don't have a specific view just yet. I will tell you the one, the one business that we took to market, it's currently still in market, that's got um, the distribution agreement, lots and lots of headwind. It's not easy. So when you're asking kind of for the percentage breakdown, zero at, for, for no question, zero aggregator bid. And we're actually now shopping it to private equity because it has enough EBITDA to, to, to get the attention of specific uh, private equity funds. And we just started that effort uh, this week. So I'll have more information. You know, Jay, feel free to follow up with me and I'll give you my information at the end of this uh, webinar. But um, the other business has not gone to market yet. So it's a thesis for us to see, you know, what will be the interest in, what, will, what will be the interest in bringing a business that's resale in a hot category, category leader that's got real size. I mean, this particular business last year, they did 80 million. They're going to probably do 110 to 120 this year. It's real size, real scale, but profit margins are very slim. And right. it's just, you know, you're relying on a lot of other people and not, not your own particular brand and your own control of that supply. So it's tough. Right. So we have uh, five minutes remaining. Let's um, take a couple of questions. So guys, if you have any questions, we'll start wrapping up now. So type your questions um, in the comments. And um, I guess one question that um, you know I had, Chris, was, uh, and we were talking about this before we went live, um, is that you know what does the future look like um, you know, like, first of all, you were, you were saying that consolidation is already happening among the aggregators, right? Like, like the bigger ones are sort of, um, or the smaller ones are trying to, you know, um, yeah. sell to the bigger ones. So that's one thing, like, what is that going to look like in, in the coming year or so? And yeah. then secondly, what is Amazon going to look like in the coming, you know, few years with all of these aggregators yeah. buying up these brands? And is it going to be, you know, a situation when two years down the line, most of the brands or you know the the third party sellers on amazon are are sort of these aggregators and what does that mean for smaller entrepreneurial buyers who want to start an amazon business let's say you know 3 years from now i think i've got a lot of good news um, okay. you know, we, we tend to we tend to look at a lot of things in a vacuum because it's the only pr that we're reading it's the only press that we're reading right every day we wake up we scroll through our linkedin feeds and then all of a sudden you know we're seeing this aggregator just raised X amount of money and this aggregator is doing this and this aggregator commented on this and it's a lot of activity right now, but it really is a in a vacuum and compared to the amount of capital that's out there. I'll give you a for instance, there's over $2 trillion worth of dry powder or capital across all corporate balance sheets, private equity funds, family offices. This particular part of the capital markets has only raised $4 billion and most of its debt, not equity. You know, the, the capital that's that's ready, that we call it dry powder in that two trillion, a lot of that's ready for equity, not necessarily debt for not necessarily providing debt. And so it still really is such a small part of the capital markets. That's the good news, right? Now, there are no other there's no other aggregators probably coming on the scene. I'll probably eat my words because tomorrow there'll be an announcement, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we were told by several top 
funds that the, the spigot has been turned off for new capital. So really the, the, the press releases you're gonna continue to see are that top quartile uh, funds. They're still raising money and they're going down the path of Series A, Series B, Series C. With venture money, my gosh, we could do a whole other webinar on this. With venture money, we call that canary in the coal mine, right? You probably have heard that phrase before. And when, when you talk about a canary in the coal mine, really it's a way of describing something that hasn't been proven yet. Let's see what happens to the canary, right? So that's typically venture money. That's the fast money that comes in. The good news about a lot of these Amazon, I'm fast forwarding a lot of commentary because I know we don't have a lot of time. The good news about this about about Amazon-based businesses, not as much even D2C, because D2C has a little bit more of a cash burn and runway to get cash flow positive, but Amazon businesses are typically cash flow positive from day one. And that's catching the attention of private equity. Real private, true, what we call true traditional funded sponsors. So out of the two trillion that's available, the um, the amount of money that we've been able to, to calculate that's available for consumer discretionary, which is consumer products, is around three to four hundred billion. So you think about the four billion that's been raised, three to four hundred billion ready to roll. And all they're really doing is going, how much scarring am I going to see from all these new funds that are going on after Amazon only businesses? But they're already starting to come in. And I'll give you a great, for instance, there is a, I, I probably, actually I could say it out loud. Um, <laughs> there is a fund, do you remember Ross Perot? Uh, he ran for president back in the early nineties here. He had the really big years. He ran against George Bush. Do you remember him? I think he also ran against Clinton back in 92. And it was the reason why Bill Clinton won is because Ross Perot got involved. He's an oil magnet. He's, you know, he's got more money than you can possibly imagine. And he's got a private equity fund. His private equity fund is interested in getting an e-commerce because we're having conversations with them about it. That's a really strong proxy for anybody who's listening on where this is all going. Where is it going in two years? Here's where it's headed. Number one, you're gonna have new, new, really strong strategic money coming into the space. That's good for the sellers that are listening. This fast money is gonna consolidate. They're still gonna be purchasing businesses, but they themselves will also be turning into something highly strategic. Um, so two years from now, Amazon, again, I'm fast forwarding because I got two minutes. Amazon, <laughs> um, sure, you're going to see competitive pressure, but the really good news is this is the strongest point of good news. There is zero saturation right now. Sorry, there's not saturation on the platform. I wouldn't say zero. There is saturation in some categories. But, you, but, but across all categories and on the actual platform, Amazon platform, you don't have saturation. What that means is that there's still plenty of runway for lots and lots of people to come on and become highly successful, even with the competitive pressure of these aggregators. But hey, I got I got some I got a newsflash for everybody listening. There's a lot of aggregators who are not great at operations. So take that in mind that you could still do a, a better job than at this point, probably 50 percent of the current funds that have been raised. And oh, by the way, here's another thing. And I'm sure aggregators are going to be all over my rear end after saying this. They're also not great at M&A. <laughs> and so they've got a little bit of an issue right now. And I'd say it's more of that bottom tier. It's that kind of bottom 50% or bottom 40% um, that you've got. That they've, they've got a little bit of a problem in terms of, you know, they came late on the scene. They're not that great at M&A. So they're not able to get really good, strong strategic businesses. And then they're not able to actually build out a strong operational effort either. So 
<laughs> I got it before one minute. <laughs> you <Well>. did. <laughs> That was that was yeah. that, that was fantastic, Chris. I could listen to you all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really could. And, and I mean, I know we've got to sort of cut it short today because we do have a, another thing to do right after yeah. this. But but man, I just I could. I, I don't know about Megla Mag. We could listen to, and I'm sure the conversation <laughs> around you know the exit numbers. I mean, we yeah. find that uh, myself and Mag we find numbers and data. Sort of, you know, it, we love that certain side of it. It's important, and, and, it really and we is. we try to we try to educate people that we know. Look, guys, know your numbers. You know, don't don't go into business if you don't know your numbers. Don't go there. You know, yeah, you, it's true. You got to, you, you know, you're entering you're, you're entering the lines, then, You know, so. Well, look, <laughs> anybody who is a great pilot is a pilot who can fly both from an instrument perspective and a visual yeah. perspective. And the easiest way to fly a plane is from a visual perspective, and the hardest is through an instrument. And that really is a good analogy on understanding your business is flying yeah. IFR. It's flying through from, from your instruments and your data. By the way, Jay, yes, more buyers, more money in the field would mean higher multiples. Yes, we're already seeing that. multiple. We called this two years ago when we came into this we came in the space three years ago, but got really, really active about two and a half. And we called it then and we're calling it now. We are seeing multiple expansion and we absolutely will continue to see multiple expansion as more sophisticated capital and strategic capital comes into the space. Yes. Yeah. Can I just say one so, thing to everyone listening? Sorry, Megla, that I know we're talking, Chris is talking $5 million businesses, but look, if you're out there and you think, oh, you know, I'm never going to get to that, what he said, you still need to take into account even if you're going to maybe yeah. sell it for you know a four hundred thousand dollar business if you're making good profit there are still aggregators and brokers out there doing those sales today so Absolutely. don't think this doesn't apply to me on turn this off go back and re-listen to it because it's exactly the same principle whether you're selling a five million dollar business or a five hundred thousand dollar business so you'd agree totally chris i hope a hundred and ten percent i completely agree this is this is really what we're talking about isn't preparation for an exit is what we're talking about is great business practice that's what we're talking about yeah so i'd agree 110 percent. so thanks for putting up with me and my sweaty forehead <laughs> the entire time <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Sing it over here it's cold <laughs> we're not yeah. Yeah, yeah. i think we need to bring you back for another webinar chris because uh, <laughs> there's a lot is it okay to display your email address oh Would yeah that be okay okay yeah. okay cool and by yeah, the way so look, here is Oh, sorry, Megla. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying here's uh, Chris's email address in case anyone wants to get in touch with him directly. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we're 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 altruistic and we're quite helpful. So you know, to Margaret's point, if you're a, if you're only you know stamping three or four hundred thousand, but yet you still need some really good advice or some good resource, there's my email. Email me. Just ask me lots of questions, and I'm I'm happy to help. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time yeah. today. It was thank very you. insightful, thank really you. good information. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Take Thanks. care. Thanks. Bye. All right. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. And we'll see you next week for another web webinar Wednesday. Bye. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye.